What is up, listeners of the world? My name is Jalen Tully, and welcome to J Talks. up you guys it's Jalen and welcome back to another week of J Talks thank you so much for tuning in unfortunately we are out of la la land we are out of the happiness and willful ignorance that we had last week no more are the conversations about cow farts and how a vegetarian thinks that chicken wings are delicious no 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 now we have to once again re-enter the real world and talk about police brutality because yes not only in the last week has another black man been unlawfully gunned down by police? But also, there was an incident last December that has come to light in which one of our men in uniform was targeted by police. So yes, I think that this week there obviously needs to be a conversation had about police brutality and police violence in this country against black people once again. It's not like I've talked about this enough, but I, I think that there is a really important conversation to be had. And and I want to say it now that even I'm gonna, even though I'm going to talk about this under the umbrella of police brutality, these are two very different incidents. These two these two incidents ended in completely different ways. They started in completely different ways, and they were carried out in completely different ways. And I'm going to talk about them pre- pretty much pretty separately. Um, but I but I just wanted to make that key, key clarification before I started. I also want to say this now before I start. Because I, in the past, I've had family, I've had my friends who listen to the podcast come to me and be like, Jalen, the way you talk about police, even though, you know, you're talking about police brutality, even though you're talking about real issues, and, you know, even though what you're saying is, is for most, for the most part true, you, you talk about police like they're all bad. You talk about police like you hate them all, and that they're more burdens to society than they're helpful. You, you talk about police like they're all terrible people. And I want to make the, and I want to say this before I talk about this, and I want to say this before this episode starts, that I don't think all police are bad people. I know for a fact that not all police officers are bad people. Just like not all black people are good people, not all police officers are bad people. Whether or not all cops are bad, whether or not a cop joined the force to be a dick and be an asshole and utilize his force over innocent civilians, or whether a cop joined the force with the intention of making change in his community and protecting the people in his community... Whether or not that either of those are the truths for a specific person, the fact of the matter is that they still support and exist within a corrupt system. And I'm not, I'm not gonna not say that because it's true. Our policing in this country is so inherently corrupt that it was built on keeping black and brown people under. And I'm gonna do a quick history lesson to give you all perspective on what I'm talking about and how I talk about police before I actually start talking about this because I wanna be able to talk about this and not have anyone misconstrue what I'm saying. Police forces existed in cities before the Civil War, obviously because cities have higher populations and there, you know, is a higher propensity for crime in those areas. So police forces existed in, you know, areas like Boston and New York and Chicago before the Civil War took place or ended with the intent of being able to control these larger populations and therefore the higher propensity for crime. However, police forces as we know them today did not exist in southern areas or more rural areas because there wasn't really a need for them. You didn't have the you know high density of population. You didn't have the higher propensity of crime. While crime still happens, it, it wasn't so, it wasn't so, I don't know how I want to say this, And even though crime existed in these smaller areas, it wasn't exacerbated by the higher populations. And that's part of the reason why modern day police forces didn't exist in these areas. 
However, the, the change came when the Civil War ended, because as you guys know, the Civil War ended, the Emancipation Proclamation was signed, and then all the slaves in the southern states were free. This was when police forces as we know them today were created in these southern states, except they weren't called police forces, they weren't called police officers, they were called slave patrols, and they were called slave patrol officers. And this leads back to the point that if you guys remember the 13th Amendment, the oh-so-famous-and-loved 13th Amendment, there's a loophole in it. And it says that no persons should be subjected to slavery unless it's for punishment for a crime. And they knew exactly what they were doing when they wrote this. They knew exactly the effect that, they would, that this would have on the Black community when they were writing this into the Constitution, when they were amending the Constitution. And so because of this, these slave patrols would then go out onto the streets and arrest black people and give them abhorrently long sentences for petty crimes such as loitering. And then as punishment for their quote-unquote crimes, they would go to prison and they would be just sent back to the plantations that they were just liberated from. And they would be forced to work there as, as like I said, penance for the quote-unquote crimes that they committed to deserve this. I wanted to say that because later in this episode, I do want to go in depth about, you know, my plans for policing and what, what I think needs to be done in order to reform and fix a very, a very corrupt and evil system that exists within our country. Because I want to make the very, the very pertinent point that our system is not broken. Our system is not flawed and our system is not damaged. Our system is working exactly how it was designed to. This was how police forces were designed to work. They were designed to target, humiliate, murder, rape, and further subject black people to dehumanization in our culture and in our society. And that's exactly how they're working today. They are working exactly how, are they, how they are designed to. And that's why I think that we need to abolish our policing systems in this country and do away with modern day policing because it's very obviously not working for a modern society. I mean, it wasn't working back then, don't get me wrong, but it's... It's not working in the sense that there are still black and brown people being gunned down in the streets. There are still, black people are still four times more likely to be arrested for marijuana than white people despite using it at the same rates. Black people are still more likely to be targeted for petty crimes and face longer jail sentences and face, you know, are thrown in jail without the, without hearings for years and are thrown in jail without the chance to even get bail. Like this, our system is so inherently broken and it's so inherently based on the fact that we subjected black people to intense and abhorrent labor in order to further our own economic gain as a country. And everything leads back to that. Every single modern day system of racism leads back to the way this country was built. And it was built on the back of slaves. It was built on the back of black people. And it was not only built on the back of black people and slaves, but it was built on the back of their suffering and their pain and their subjection to dehumanization and oppression in this country. And I want to make that very, very clear. I know I went on a little bit of a tangent, but trust me, as I talk about this, it'll all make sense. And I wanted to say all of that. And I think that it's all very important to what I'm going to say, because I don't want people to think that I'm going into this hating the police. I don't want people to go into this thinking that, you know, I, th I think the police are useless and I think all police officers are terrible people. And I think all police officers, you know, deserve to die and deserve to rot in prison. Both of my grandfathers were police officers, and one of my grandfathers is actually a 70-year-old die-hard Republican, red-bleeding Republican, and he still agrees with the basic tenets of the Black Lives Matter movement because this is not this is not us against the police. This is us against racism, and this is us against a racist system. 
my grandfather that I was just talking about, the one who, you know, is a diehard Republican and still agrees with the basic tenets of the Black Lives Matter movement, he worked in the South District of Buffalo, New York. Very, very drug-ridden, very diverse, very, very Black, very Latino-dominated. He never shot a single bullet at someone with the intent to kill them. He never killed someone while he was on the force. He never subjected someone to inhumane treatment that went against his policy. He never diverted from the way he was supposed to handle criminals, from the way he was supposed to handle people who were resisting arrest or running from arrest. He never shot bullets at someone while their back was turned. And that's like that's the divide right now, is that we don't even see how how this is not this isn't even okay. This isn't even policy. This isn't even right. We get so we get so bogged down in the whole, oh, left versus right, the Democrats versus the Republicans. Oh, it's everyone versus the police. It's not everyone versus the police. Again, it's everyone versus racism. And if you can't see that, then I'm gonna tell you now this podcast probably is not for you, and I would suggest you leave. But if you can see that, and if you do agree with that, then I wholeheartedly think that you know you, sh- you should continue to listen. And you should continue to listen with an open mind. Because again, I want to make it very, very clear. I don't think all police officers are bad people. I think both of my grandfathers are probably the best police officers that have existed within the force in their towns. I think that you know they're the police officers that I want there to be more of. But I think that they're, I think that it also needs to be pointed out that they probably knew that fellow officers were committing to unlawful um, treatment of civilians, unlawful treatment of criminals. I think that they also knew that some of their partners or some of the people within their precincts were not following the law, not not adhering to the law, unlawfully detaining people, treating people unfairly, discriminated against people, and they they didn't turn them in. And that's more so when I'm trying to get at when I say that, oh, all police are bad. Oh, um, you know, the all cops are bastards. The, the policing system itself is so corrupt that we can't even let the good cops be good cops. The policing system is so corrupt that we, that even the good cops, quote unquote, good cops can't even turn in their fellow officers without the, without the worry of being subjected to the same treatment that these black and brown civilians are being treated with. I just saw a story actually of it was a female cop from New York and she actually got into a physical altercation with her partner because he was unlawfully putting a civilian that they were detaining into a chokehold. And 15 years later, she won her lawsuit against the state. And they said that she was unlawfully fired because she was fired for that incident and she was treated like she was a black woman. I also want to say that. And she was treated as such for doing the right thing, for being a good cop. But luckily for her, the state did rule in her favor and they did reinstate her pension. So, you know, not all stories are negative, not all stories are bad, but, you know, that just goes to show that if if even the good cops, even the good cops, when they take a stand and they save someone's life and they, you know, stand up against the bad cops in their precinct, they're, they lose their jobs. They're more likely to lose their jobs than the cops who are out here murdering black and brown people in broad daylight, for Christ's sake. Like, that's that's ridiculous to me. And if, you, if you're going to take it upon yourself to tell me that I'm targeting police, that I'm saying that, oh, all cops are bad, that and you're trying your best to protect this corrupt system, I need you to take a good hard look in the mirror and I need you to look at the world around you and look at the system that you're trying to protect. Because that, the system that 
fired a black woman for saving a man's life that was getting unlawfully choked out when they were when he was being detained she lost her job and she had to fight a 15-year battle with the state of New York in order to receive her pension in order to for it to be known that she was unlawfully fired that is ridiculous and that's the system that you're trying to protect so again when i say that we need to abolish the police we need to abolish the system that allows for that to happen. We need to abolish the system that allows for qualified immunity. We need to abolish the system that allows for white people to kill black people in broad daylight and get off with it just because they're police. Because that's not a system that I feel comfortable protecting, and that's not a system that I think any of us should feel comfortable protecting. So with all of that being said, I now finally digress into the actual content of this week's episode. Again, listen with an open mind along with an open heart, regardless of whatever you think of these men, even though, you know, cops aren't supposed to kill guilty people either, I'm just going to remind you all of that, but regardless of whatever you think of these men and women and children who have been killed by police, I need you to think about the families who they left behind, I need you to think about the families who are grieving, the families who are never going to be able to hold their loved ones again, because these people were loved. Regardless of whatever your opinions of them are, these people were loved, and there are people they left behind who are hurting. So before I go forward, I just want to make that point that this this isn't just about whoever was killed by police, and this isn't just about the officer who killed them. There's a, there are communities around these people. There are communities who will never heal from these events. There are daughters who have had to see their fathers being murdered in the front seat of the car. There are girlfriends who have had to watch their boyfriend bleed out next to them. There are mothers who have had to watch their child die in their front lawns. This is not okay. And that that's the most pertinent point I want to make. This is not okay. All right, now I am finally ready to start this week's episode. First, I want to talk about the incident regarding 2nd Lieutenant Karen Nazario. On the 5th of December of last year, Lieutenant Nazario was driving home in a new car in which he had temp plates for. Officers thought that he didn't have plates on his car, so they turned on their lights, they pulled him over, and instead of wanting to be pulled over in the dark, which, as a black man in America, completely understandable, even if he was committing a crime, even if he had drugs in the car, even if they had a viable reason to pull them over, which they did not, completely understandable. So instead of allowing for these officers to pull Nazario over in the dark, he instead turned on his hazards and proceeded for a couple of minutes to the nearest well-lit gas station. And at that point, then, he did pull over and allow the cops to to carry out their their duties. So I'm going to put air quotes around that, their duties, so so to speak. Um, At this point, the altercation got verbally violent and then escalated to physically violent. Um, I also want to note that if, if you haven't seen the video... Um, I, I think I think this is one that people should watch, even though as as a black woman in America, it's exhausting to see black people be brutalized by police, and it 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 really does damage my psyche, especially at this point in time. But I think that this is a video that everyone should watch because it it doesn't end in black death, it doesn't end in abhorrent black violence, but it's it's something that I think you sh- I think you should hear the conversations going on, and I'm gonna go over everything very very lightly. I'm gonna give a brief gloss over. But again, I, th- I think you should watch the videos if, if you have it in you. But at this point, both of the cops had their guns drawn. I also want to note that. And Lieutenant Nazario was in his uniform. He was in uniform. 
Um, one of the, and one of the cops, the cops, the cop who actually eventually ended up pepper spraying him said, you're fixing to ride the lightning son, which there's so many things wrong with that statement. So many, I'm going to first start with the euphemism that was used. Um, right. Fixing to ride the lightning is a euphemism for getting tasered or even getting executed. So take that how you want. Either way, I think it's disgusting that that's the that that's the verbiage that he used. Not professional at all. Not how you're supposed to speak to someone, especially not someone in uniform who didn't do anything wrong, might I add. Disgusting. That language itself is disgusting. And then I also want to talk about him using the word son. This is offensive for so many reasons, and I'm going to explain a little bit as to why it's offensive for so many reasons. Because I think I think to white people who have never who have never been profiled like this, I think to white people who haven't had these experiences, not just with police, because this is verbiage and this is language that is used through for for a lot of people in society who feel like they have jurisdiction to treat black people as subservient. Um, but for a lot of white people, you may be questioning, oh, why was that offensive? Why is him using the word son to refer to this man offensive? And I'm going to explain that now. A lot of, I'm going to say police, but it do, it's not just exclusive to police. I've, I've seen these incidents and I've heard these incidents and I've talked to, you know, my black male friends who have also said that, you know, this language has been used to them by, by people who work at stores, by, ma- by store managers, by, you know, people who are just walking on the street, by people who, you know, they by people who they're trying to order food from at a restaurant. And it's not just exclusive to the word son either. A lot of the times, um, these people will also use the word boy when referring to black men, like boy, son. Um, And even though you're, like I said, even though you're probably like, how is that offensive? It is extremely derogatory, especially because you could tell that Nazario was a full-grown man. He He is serving our country. And this officer who unlawfully pulled him over for no reason, unlawfully has a gun drawn in his face, and is angry that he's not keeping composure with two guns drawn in his face, has the audacity to refer to him as son or boy. Like, that is that is dehumanizing. That is, that is dehumanizing to your face. While you still have two guns drawn at you, expected to keep your cool lest you be murdered while in uniform, and you're getting called son. And you are still expected as a black person in this country, specifically as a black man, to have your code switcher on and not get offended and not freak out and not yell at this person because, again, you have two guns drawn at your face. It is extremely dehumanizing. It is extremely offensive. And it is extremely just overall, just just shows your own bigotry when referring to black people who are clearly your age or older as son or boy, even though nine times out of ten they're not doing anything wrong. Especially because the vast majority of the time that this language is used against black men, it's used as a way to to punish, to quote unquote punish them or or villainize them. Um, it's it's used as a way to sh- to establish dominance, especially you know because it's 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 kind of like I'm this is a weird example, but this is kind of like the best way I can use it. Like if someone comes up to a man and like how dehumanizing is it to have another man ask you who's your daddy? who's your daddy? Like that, like think about how emasculating and dehumanizing that would be for like for white men to have another man who is, who might be even younger than you or your same age come up to you when you're not doing anything wrong as a way to dehumanize you and show their dominance over you and say, who's your daddy? It's that same, it's that same kind of language. It's that same kind of sense of 
you know, the, the dominance, the, the dominance trying to be established. And that's, that's why it's so offensive. It's because th this person clearly, these white men that use it, or even white women in some instances that use this language against black men, they know there's societal power that they have over this person. They know of the socioeconomic power and the socioeconomic domination that they already have over this person. And they're just further reestablishing it, not only in their mind, but in the mind of whoever they're talking to. I hope I, I hope I explained that. Um, if I, if I didn't, and if you're still confused as to why that's offensive, I will leave a link in the description, um, to a website that will further explain why this is such a problem and why black people, you know, feel this is so derogatory. But, you know, that, that was the first statement that really caught my eye when I watched this video. The, oh, you're fixing to ride the lightning sun, because there's, there's just so much wrong with that sentence. There's, there's so much inherently evil and dehumanizing about that sentence. And that's just, you know, a, a few seconds into the video. Then Nazar, then the, the, the verbal altercation continues. And at one point, Nazario says that he's, he's honestly terrified to get out of the car and he's afraid to get out of the car to which, oh my God, I'm, I'm literally tearing up right now. It's, it's disgusting to, to think about this happening, but to which the cop that that said are you are you looking to to ride the lightning sun you're fixing to ride the lightning sun the cop that said that said you should be in response to a black man in uniform saying that he's afraid to get out of the car knowing everything that's happened in the last year knowing all of the violence against black people that has gained so much traction and so much attention you're going to tell this man that he that he should feel afraid that is that is disgusting. That is disgusting. That is dehumanizing. That is revolting. I, I have bile in my mouth right now because I'm trying not to throw up. That's how disgusted I am with this comment. That's how disgusted I am to feel these words come out of my mouth. I, I, I'm, I'm kind of speechless right now. Like in, in, a, in a way, I'm really speechless at the moment. I can't even think about how, how you can have it in you. The type of evil you must possess as a person to say that to someone who is clearly in duress, who is clearly in emotional and mental distress by the situation that they are currently in, having two guns drawn at their face with their, with their arms, with their hands leaning out the driver's side window because they're trying to show that they're not a threat and they say that they're afraid to get out of the car. And your response as an officer is that they should be. I'm done explaining why black people are scared of police to my friends. I'm done explaining why I keep my hands on the dashboard when I'm riding passenger seat and one of my friends gets pulled over. I'm done explaining this bullshit to people. If you don't understand by now, congrats, because now you have the right to be this ignorant. It is a privilege to be able to be this ignorant as to why black people are so goddamn afraid of the police in this country. Because look at this, look at this. A respectable, grown black man in uniform currently serving our country, currently keeping these police officers safe, currently the one who's keeping these police officers' constitutional rights in their hands. And they told him that he should be afraid of stepping out of his vehicle, despite not doing anything wrong, despite these officers not even having a reason to pull them over because he had a license plate visible on the car. It's like, it's like I know exactly what I want to say. I know exactly what needs to be said. But I'm, I'm so tired of saying it. 
I'm so tired of having to repeat myself and reiterate the same goddamn points every single time something like this happens. I'm so tired of having to watch these videos and relive the same trauma of watching black people get harassed, brutalized, murdered by police over and over and over again. I'm tired of it. And I'm tired of having to come on here and explain to the world why it's wrong. After that, um, the, the, as you could probably guess, the, the verbal altercation did escalate and turn to a physical one in which the police officer ended up pepper spraying Nazario in the face. And Nazario didn't even take it upon himself to wipe his eyes because he wanted to keep his hands out the driver's side window to show that he wasn't a threat. And he goes, you know, that's fucked up. That's fucked up. He said, I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm serving this country. I'm on active duty. I'm a soldier serving this country and this is how you're treating me. That's fucked up. To which I want to reply, Lieutenant Nazario, you are completely right. That is fucked up. They had no jurisdiction. They had no right to treat you that way. Whether or not you were serving, whether or not you were on active duty, whether or not you were in uniform, you did nothing wrong. Nothing wrong. You did nothing to deserve this treatment. You did nothing to deserve the, the verbal violence that you had to deal with. You did nothing to deserve the physical violence that you had to deal with. You did nothing to deserve the trauma that you've probably gotten from this experience with the police. You did not deserve any of this. And the worst part about this now I'm gonna now I'm actually gonna cry because saying this is gonna be so hard. But the worst part about all of this is that after watching that video and after seeing the brutality that Lieutenant Karen Nazario had to face at the hands of not just one officer, but two officers, which again is why I'm so tired of people saying, oh, you can't say all cops are bad. Almost every single video I have seen of black people getting brutalized by police, there's more than one cop there. There has been more than one officer in the area. And that officer has either been aiding and abetting in the brutality or they've been standing there doing nothing. So I'm, I'm tired of that. I'm tired of people trying to come in here and say, oh, not all cops are bad. Well, then why it, in every single police brutality video, in the George Floyd video, there were three other cops present. In the video of the nine-year-old girl being pepper sprayed by police that I talked about a few weeks ago, there were seven uniformed officers in that video. And in this video, in the video where Lieutenant Karen Nazario was subjected to police brutality, there were two uniformed officers there. Both had their guns drawn. Both were shouting obscenities. Both were shouting threats at Lieutenant Nazario. So again, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear what you have to say about, oh, not all cops are bad. Seriously, I, I like, like I'm done with this. Because in most of these instances, there's more than one cop there. And there's more than one, which means that there's more than one chance for one of these cops to do the right thing. And in none of these videos has any of these cops done the right thing. But anyways, what I was saying before I, you know, got off track was that the worst part of this video was that by the end of it, the first thought that ran through my head was, thank God this man did not die. Do you know? I'm sorry. I'm like, I'm like actually crying right now. Do you? And I'm not crying because I'm like upset. I'm crying because this is so, it's so traumatic to just see this happen over and over again and have nothing change. And it's so traumatic to, to see something like this happen. And the first thought in my head is, thank God there wasn't a bullet going through his body. Thank God he, he wasn't choked out. Thank God he wasn't pulled from the car and choked to death. Thank God this man is still alive. 
and able to see his justice. I just don't know how we, as black people, we're supposed to, we're supposed to compartmentalize this and we're supposed to be okay with this and we're supposed to internalize this and then go out and have interactions with police and not be terrified and we're expected to act calmly. We're expected to, you know, keep our hands on the wheel and always show our hands and, you know, not make too fast of movements, not make sudden movements, not reach for anything in our pockets. We're supposed to have all of these rules laid out for us. And even when we follow them, even when we do everything right, and even when we don't even fit the demographic for the people that, you know, we assume get shot by police, even when it's a, a second lieutenant in his uniform, we still are subjected to this dehumanization. I'm sorry, I'm, I didn't expect to, th to get this emotional this episode, I didn't expect to get this upset, and I didn't want to. I didn't want to get this upset. It's just, when that's the first thing that goes through my head, it's like, thank God this man didn't die. I don't know how people, I don't know how people don't see something wrong with our existing system. I don't understand how people don't see anything wrong with our system, and I don't understand how people think that nothing needs to change. <sighs> now I'm gonna wipe my eyes. And I'm going to try and compose myself a little bit. I'm sorry you guys had to listen to me cry for that time. But, like, it's just, it's, it, I don't think, I don't think white people realize how truly traumatic it is to, because I've probably seen hundreds of videos from the time that I first got a phone and was first introduced to social media to now. I've probably seen, I would probably say I've seen about, at least 200 videos of black people getting murdered by police. That doesn't even include the videos that haven't ended in murder, like like the like new Lieutenant Nazaria's video. Because that video didn't even end in murder, but that was still abhorrent police brutality. And that was still incredibly difficult for me to watch, as you could probably have inferred by my reaction. I have probably, like I said, I've probably seen over 200 videos of black people getting murdered by police. And especially because I'm I'm not a person that can internalize violence and have it disrupt my empathy. I'm a I'm a very empathetic person. You know, I'm, I'm empathetic for my animals. I'm empathetic for other people. So you know, I and I choose not to internalize this and shut my emotions off because this is important to me. And even though it's painful to have to watch these videos as as much as I do, I know that in a way that pain is what keeps me strong. That pain is what keeps me talking about these issues. That pain is what keeps me educating myself. That pain is what keeps me standing up for other people, for other groups, for other marginalized groups. That pain is what keeps me human. That pain is what keeps me empathetic. And if it, if, if it at all meant that I would watch these videos without feeling that pain, but because of that, I would be missing the part of me that made me human. I would I wouldn't make that trade. I wouldn't make that sacrifice or trade for myself because again, it's it's what keeps me human. It's what keeps me empathetic. And I and at this point in time, in all with all of the issues going on in our world, with all of the issues going on in our country, we need more people to be more human. We need people to be empathetic. We need people to be human. We need people to feel pain like this. As painful and as hard as it is to internalize especially as black people. And I'm going to send this message directly to black people. You don't have to watch these videos. These videos at this point in time, these videos are not released for you. These videos are not released for you to watch. These videos are not released for you to be exposed to. 
and you have no obligation to watch them. We know. From one black person to another, we know what our community goes through. We know what we'll be subjected to out in the real world, away from our communities, outside of our homes. We know how police see us. No matter how we dress, no matter what uniform we're wearing, no matter how we speak, no matter if we follow all of the right steps, we know that in this world, especially at the hands of police, nine times out of ten, we will be seen as just another nigga. So again, these videos are not for you. They are not released for you. I think, if anything, at this point, they're released for white people to see how often this happens, because we know how often this happens. We know how often our communities are disrupted by this violence, by these murders, by this brutality. We know this. We don't need to be educated on it. We don't need to see this shit over and over again to know. It's not for us. So don't at all feel like you are obligated to watch these videos, especially since it's causing you so much trauma as a black person in this country, because it is. It's causing you trauma to have to watch people who look like you, people who sound like you, people who dress like you, people who walk like you, be murdered by police. There's a certain level of PTSD that I think truly comes with black people having to watch other black people getting murdered every single day, or every single week, or every single month, or however often these videos are circulated throughout the internet. Never feel like you have an obligation to be subjected to that. Our American society is going to subject you to enough pain and suffering. You don't have to do it to yourself. Not at all. With all of that being said, I also want to delve into the story of Dante Wright. <sighs> I think I, I've talked about a lot and I've touched on a, some really important points throughout this episode. So I'm going to try and make this quick and wrap up this episode pretty quickly. But there are some there are some specifics in the Dante case that... I do want to talk about in that do need attention. Dante Wright was 20 years old. He had a infant son that he leaves behind along with a girlfriend. Dante was murdered out right outside of Minneapolis and Brooklyn Center, only 14 miles away from the trial of Derek Chauvin in regards to the murder of George Floyd, which honestly I think is so rich because it's like, how many police murders are you going to sit through while this trial's going on? Like how, which is why I think it would be so, so much more infuriating if this man does get off and therefore make it so much more insulting if this man got off. Because we, we have now sat through how many murders in the Minneapolis area, how many police brutality instances in the Minneapolis area since this man has been indicted on these murder charges. I don't even know, probably at least a half dozen at this point. It's like, how many more are you willing to sit through? But I digress. Dante was pulled over for an air freshener hanging off of his rear view, his rear view mirror because petty ass traffic violations. And I actually, I actually looked into this because I was, I was confused as fuck as to how he got pulled over for an air freshener because that doesn't seem like liability or reason to pull someone over at all. And it, I, and I actually found out that in fourteen states you can be pulled over for an air freshener hanging off your rearview mirror, and which just. And, you know, everywhere I looked said that this is just a way that police officers further target and harass black people while they're driving, which, you know, is just just so rich. Just, you know, if it's not for not having a temp plate showing on your bump on your back bumper, if it's not for having a taillight out, if it's not for not signaling when you're turning, if it's not for accidentally running a stop sign, if it's not for pulling over when you're supposed to pull over, if it's not for if it's not for any of that shit. The very least, they could get you for an air freshener because that's exactly, again, that's exactly what black people need is another reason for police to pull them over and murder them. 
but Dante was pulled over and at this point the officers found out that he had a warrant out for his arrest and I don't I don't want anyone to take that and use that to justify this man's death. Police are not supposed to kill guilty people either. It is not their job to murder people in broad daylight. And I also want to point out that the warrant they had out for his arrest was for a misdemeanor. It wasn't even for a felony or for a violent crime. So at that point, once he found out why the police officers were trying to detain him, he attempted to flee and get back into his car with his girlfriend, at which point one of the officers, Katie Porter, Katie Potter, I don't fucking know her name. Honestly, I don't really care to know her name. She's a murderer. I'll just call her a murderer. The, uh, the murderer who killed him pulled out her gun, her gun, and yelled, taser, taser, before deploying the weapon, um, and shot him. And in, in the aftermath, it, it, I guess it came out that, that she thought she was using her taser, that she thought she was meant, she meant to taser him, and they labeled it as an accidental discharge. An accidental discharge! Oh, you've got to be kidding me! You've got to be kidding me! Okay, first I want to make the point that a taser's on your non-dominant hand. A gun is on your dominant hand. I'm not even a police officer, and I know enough basic shit to know that. A taser's bright yellow. A gun is black. You have to turn the safety off for both of these weapons before using them. A taser weighs about eight ounces. A gun weighs almost three pounds. How in the hell did this officer, who has been on the force for 26 years, yes, this officer was on the force for 26 years, how in the hell could this officer have mistaken her gun for a taser? How would it have been possible for you to make that mistake? Because I'm going to be completely honest with you, I probably wouldn't have made that mistake. And I'm not even a police officer. Again, taser's on your non-dominant hand, it's bright yellow, it weighs about 8 ounces. A gun's on your dominant hand, it's jet black, it weighs almost 3 pounds. How can you not tell the difference between a taser and a Glock? As an as a officer who's been on the force for 26 years. Accidental discharge, my ass. If, if a pharmacist didn't know the difference between fentanyl and birth control, and accidentally gave her patient the wrong one, she would be charged with manslaughter. She would lose her license to be a pharmacist, she'd lose her ability to practice, and that it, it, this would be labeled as misconduct that resulted in someone's death. However, when a police officer deploys their gun instead of the taser, it's labeled as an accidental just discharge. I'm going to, even if you give her the entirety of the benefit of the doubt, even if, you know, she, she deployed it on accident, she didn't know which was which, she was in a high, she was in an intense situation, a high stress situation, and, you know, she got fumbled up and mixed up, whatever, Be, even though, you know, she, she didn't, and I'm not debating that with anyone for a second, but even if she didn't, you're going to give her the entirety of the benefit of the doubt, she would still have to be charged with manslaughter. It is still manslaughter. She still murdered someone, even if it was on accident. So again, people who are trying to defend her, saying that, oh, she shouldn't, she shouldn't face punishment. It was an accident. Accident or not, she still murdered someone. I'm tired of this. I'm tired of this qualified immunity bullshit. I'm tired of police officers getting away with this. And granted, um, she, she actually has been indicted on second degree murder charges, which, so we'll, we'll see how that plays out, I guess, but it doesn't change the fact that there's still a child that's going to grow up without a father. There's still a family that is never going to see their son or brother or uncle or nephew again doesn't change the fact that his last moments on this earth were filled with fear and terror and pain. I hope 
that we're able to get to a point in society where I don't have to come on here and talk about this. I hope that we're able to get to a point in society where this these abhorrent tragedies, these abhorrent events don't occur. And I hope that more than anything, we're able to get to a point in society where when police officers do commit these tragedies and do commit these abhorrent events, they're held responsible. Police officers are still human. They still make mistakes. They still have bias. They can be racist and prejudiced and bigots. They can be ignorant. Just because they're police officers doesn't make them more than human. When we allow for police officers to commit crimes like these and get away with them, we're, we're further solidifying not only in their heads, but in the, the people's heads who are victims of these crimes that, hey, police can murder people in this country and get away with it. Which not only allows for these events to happen more and more and more, which not only allows for police to feel more bold when it comes to acting out of turn, when it comes to unlawfully pulling people over, when it comes to subjecting people to racial, sexual, gender bias in their fields. But on top of that, it also further solidifies in Black people's heads that police are people that they need to fear. Police are people that they need to run from, that they need to talk back to, that they need to be scared of, which will further exacerbate their fear responses and make it more likely that they're going to have their lives taken from them. Everyone's like, oh, well, they ran. They resisted. We live in a society. We live in a culture where Black people have to watch other Black people get murdered weekly. There's at least one of these videos circulating on social media every week, at the very least every month. And Black people not only have to see these murders, Black people not only have to see their brothers, their sisters, their aunts, their uncles, people who look just like them, walk just like them, talk just like them, dress just like them, be gunned down by police in the streets with Skittles, a cell phone, a wallet, a sandwich in their pocket, opening their front door, standing in their grandmother's backyard, playing with a toy gun in the park. They have to watch Black people in these situations get murdered for doing everyday mundane things. How can you not expect someone to be terrified in those situations? How can you not expect someone to want to run, to want to flee, to want to resist? How can you expect Black people to keep their calm in these situations when we see, when we see that even when we do everything right, we could still die? We could still have our lives taken from us. We could still not be able to see our loved ones one last time. We could still spend our last moments on this earth in pain and suffering. And that's even when we do everything right. I will never blame a black person for how they interact with police. I will never blame a black person for running, for resisting, for fighting police, for taking off in their car, for any of that bullshit. Because I've seen what police do to black people even when they do everything right. I saw what police did to Sandra Bland. I saw what George Zimmerman did to Trayvon Martin. I saw what police did to Tamir Rice. I saw what police did to Philando Castile. I've seen all of it. I've watched all of it. Most of it, I've seen more than once. I've had to watch these people die over and over and over again. And those were people that did everything right. Those were pe- Some of those people were children. Before I wrap this episode up, I, also, I just want to quickly talk about what I, what I think needs to be done with our policing systems in this country. I want to go in depth and talk about what, I, what, I, what plans I want to take place for the police in this country and what I think needs to be happened and what I have in my mind when I say abolish the police. First off, I think there needs to be reallocation of funds. There's no reason that LAPD's police budget needs to be $1.1 billion a year when 
there are children going home hungry because this the food that they get at school is the only food that they have that day. I think that we need to reallocate police funds. Um, how about we focus on fixing the pipes in Flint, Michigan and making sure that the children there don't have to drink fucking lead water anymore? How about we can start with that? We can take a $55 million out of the $1.1 billion police budget, which, by the way, wouldn't even bring up below $1 billion if we took away $55 million to fix the water pipes in Flint, Michigan. First, we can do that. And then we can take the rest of those funds because, again, no reason for a police budget to ha- to be over $1 billion no reason for NYPD to be driving Teslas. No reason for NYPD to have robot dogs. We need to slash the everlasting hell out of these police budgets. And I think the top places that they should go is education. When children have access to good, fair, and equal education, along with adequate education, they are less likely to turn to crime. They are less likely to turn to gangs and other ways and drug dealing and other ways to make money because they have the opportunity to get to college and to get educated and to actually build a life for themselves. So I think that we need to reallocate those funds into education because not only when we do that, there will be less crime in the streets and less need for police. But on top of that, again, there's no reason for a yearly police budget to be over a billion dollars. And I will keep on saying that. Um, second source, I think we need to reallocate those police funds into mental health services and mental health support along with drug support. I think those two are kind of like two in the same because again, when we give people help for their mental health services, when we give people the adequate support, care, and service for their mental health, you're less likely to have people having mental health crises in the streets because there have been enough black people who have been experiencing mental health crises who have been subjected to this brutality. The nine-year-old girl who was handcuffed by Rochester PD, um, Daniel Prude, who was again murdered by Rochester PD, both were experiencing mental health crises and both were not cared for in the adequate way that would have been necessary not only for them, but for the safety of everyone else in their community and everyone else in the vicinity of the area. So again, I think we need to put more effort and money into not only mental health services, but also mental health research and figuring out what will be what will be best for the people who suffer at the hands of some of these mental illnesses and suffer at the hands of mental distress. Um, on, the, on the flip side of that, I think that we also need to reallocate some of this money into drug um, rehab, drug facilities, and getting people who are addicted to drugs help. Because again, I think that, you know, um, you know, one of the things that I'm seeing with the George Floyd trial is like the defendant, the defense is trying to say that, oh, he died of a fentanyl overdose and he died because he had drugs in his system. And it's like, okay, well maybe if we lived in a society where we didn't have doctors peddling opioids to people and we didn't have, and then when people got addicted, we didn't shun them and turn them away and tell them that it was their fault and they shouldn't be such fucking addicts then, you know, maybe this wouldn't have happened. And maybe not only would we not have other people experiencing mental health and drug crises be killed and unlawfully detained by police, but on top of that, when people are unlawfully killed or detained by the police, we wouldn't have drugs be a viable reason as to why the officers should get off. So again, I think that there needs to be more money allocation, not only into mental health resources and drug resources, drug help resources, drug rehab. But on top of that, obviously mental health research and drug research as well. So we can figure out not only what happens to these people and what's going on in their heads, but so we can also figure out what is the best way to help these individuals and what is the best way to make sure that they themselves and the communities around them are as safe as possible. 
I also think, I've mentioned it before, but I think that we literally need to start from the ground up. We need to fire every single police officer and rehire them. I think that every single police officer should be forced to take at least a half dozen classes at a community college or a state college in social work or psychology. I also think that they should be forced to take implicit bias training. I think that they should be forced to take more training and more course training in terms of how to handle a firearm and how to handle the weapons that they are armed with at all times. I also think that we need to have different people allocated for different calls. I don't think that the same police officers armed with the same weapons should be called for the same types of crimes. By all means, if there's violence, if there's a if there's a mass shooting, if there's, you know, something that is actively harming the community and actively harming people or murdering people or causing people distress, I think the armed cops should go to those immediately, no matter what the color of the perpetrator is, no matter if he's, you know, black, white, Latino, Asian, no matter what the case may be. I think that police officers going into a potentially dangerous situation should be armed with whatever they need to to protect themselves and the communities around them. However, there's no reason that armed cops should be going to mental health crises. I think that those should be reserved for social workers and people who are trained in handling and facilitating mental health um, resources to people who need it. I think that, you know, you when you have people who are meant to deal with high stress situations like cops, when you have people who are told that, oh, any day could be your last, they're going to go into any situation preparing to die. And that's not how you should enter a mental health situation. That's not the best for the cop. And that's certainly not the best for the person who's experiencing a mental health crisis. You need to have people who are trained in mental health crises go and handle them. That's why I said, you know, social workers, therapists, um, psychologists, people who know what they're doing and people who know how to calm down and facilitate mental health resources to these people who need them. I also think there's no reason for armed cops to um, take place in traffic stop violations or traffic violations in general. No reason for a cop to be armed with a gun when they're pulling someone over for broken taillight. No reason for a cop to be armed with a gun when there's an air freshener hanging in the rear view mirror. No reason for a cop to be armed with a gun if someone forgets to signal a turn. No reason for a cop to be armed with a gun in any of those situations. I think that's absolutely ridiculous and it puts not only the cop but also the person driving at risk of further violence in an escalated situation like we've seen so many times. I think that for any, honestly, I think that for any nonviolent crime, there's no reason for a cop to be armed with a gun. I think that a pepper spray and taser would be perfectly adequate in order, because again, it's nonviolent. When you have a situation like the Eric Garner situation where he was, you know, selling Lucy's or, you know, like Trayvon Martin, where he was walking home with a bag of Skittles and an Arizona iced tea, no reason for someone to be armed while dealing with people like that. There's no reason for someone to put not only the cop, but also the person who they're targeting in, like I said, a further situation for them to both be subjected to violence. Whenever I say abolish the police, that's what I think of. I think of abolishing the current system of policing that we have. And whenever I say that, people are like, oh, well, who's going to help you for getting raped or murdered or if you're robbed? And again, my response to that is always, have you ever been raped or robbed? And what has the police ever done to help? Because I know plenty of people who have been raped and robbed and the police has done shit to help them. So I always think it's rich when people kind of say that to me. But on top of that, it's like, I'm, I'm not saying that we need to abolish the police. I'm not saying that we need to abolish detectives. I'm not saying that we need to abolish the system that brings justice to people who deserve it. I'm saying that we need to abolish the system that allows for black and brown people to be gunned down and murdered in the street with no justice. That's the system that I'm talking about we need to abolish. We need to abolish the modern day system of policing that we have because it's clearly not working for anyone. I don't know what to do. 
I know I'm I'm here and I'm talking on the podcast and I'm sharing what I think needs to be done and what I'm sharing what I think would be the best route of growth and reform in this country when it comes to our police. But I genuinely don't know what to do in terms of more than that because I feel like I need to do more. I feel like I have an obligation to my community and my country to to do more, to try and reform not just the policing system, but the the criminal justice system as a whole. Fact of the matter is, I I cannot believe. I I mean, I can I can, I can believe this has happened again, but I can't believe it's happened again like this. And I can't believe, you know, we're we're still here, uh, almost a full year after George Floyd, and we're still here. I'm gonna start wrapping up this week's episode. I do just want to say that I know I said a couple of weeks ago that I was going to talk about the murder of George Floyd in depth, that I'm going to talk about the Derek Chauvin trial in depth. However, I think I want to wait on it. The The prosecuting side has actually just finished its arguments, has just finished calling witnesses to the stand. Um, and at this point, the defense has actually started their arguments. I think I want to wait because honestly, with more thinking, I actually do want to do a year after George Floyd episode the week of May 25th, which is when George Floyd's life was taken from him. And I just want to talk about not only the trial in depth and, you know, where we are a year later after his murder and, you know, has justice been achieved, but I also want to talk about where Black Lives Matter started when, you know, I started following it, you know, um, you know, during the, the trial of George Zimmerman in regards to the murder of Trayvon Martin, that was when Black Lives Matter started. And I want to talk about how it progressed from, you know, me going to school and saying Black Lives Matter and doing presentations on Black Lives Matter and being called a racist and a terrorist by my classmates to, you know, four years later them posting black screens on their Instagrams. Like, I want to talk about that progression, but more specifically, I want to talk about how George Floyd really catalyzed the Black Lives Matter movement to gain awareness within our white community in this country and within, you know, white people in general. And I want to talk about it all in depth. And, you know, I I want to just dedicate an entire episode to just talking about George Floyd. And at that point, the trial should be somewhat over the try we should have somewhat of a verdict or somewhat of an idea of how the trial is going to play out because quite honestly I know how I'm hoping the trial is going to end up obviously but at this point I think that I think it's a complete toss-up I think that it's there's really no telling where it's going to go at this point but so I do just want to wait and then I'll do an an episode talking about the the murder of George Floyd and the trial of Derek Chauvin in its entirety um, so I just wanted to say that quickly because I, I know that I said a couple of weeks ago that I was going to talk about it this week, but obviously other stuff happened. And as I've thought about it, I think it would be more helpful to everyone for me to just do one episode talking about it all. What's in my rotation this week? This has actually been something that's been in my rotation for a few weeks now. And it's I've actually watched it probably five times with a bunch of different people because it is that good. I don't know if you guys have heard of the Explained series. It's on Netflix. And they have like, I actually, I fucking love the Explained series. They're so, so good. I love each and every episode. I love the way they're set up. I love the people that they have on. They're like comedic and funny, but like also really educational, but in a lighthearted and easy to digest way. I absolutely love them. They have a whole bunch that I love watching. They have one like on the mind and dreams and memories and psychedelics. They have some on sex, like childbirth and birth control and attraction. And then there's another series and they have an episode on the racial wealth gap 
this, uh, this is the episode that I've watched with several people. I've seen it, like I said, probably a half dozen times. It is just that good. It is, is absolutely incredible. And it's something that I genuinely think everyone should watch because seeing you don't think that like the racial wealth gap is something that really perpetuates that much racism in our society. But when you see the history of it and when you see the actual numbers of today, you will be astonished and you will be amazed at truly how different black and white people live in this country. And it's it's just it's it's absolutely incredible. I wholeheartedly recommend watching it. You you'll not only learn something, but I think it's super insightful in a social way. So like it'll really expand your horizons and open up your mind to the world around you and the experiences that other people in this country are living. But yes, that is what is in my rotation this week. That's what's been in my rotation for the last several weeks because I've shown it to so many people. But wholeheartedly, I think that's something that everyone should watch. It is so good, so educational. And it has um, Senator Cory Booker in it. And he tells his own personal stories of his parents experiencing redlining and mortgage discrimination. So again, super, super interesting. Wholeheartedly recommend you guys watch it. This week's episode is now coming to an end. I'm I'm really sorry for the for the overall down feeling of this week's episode, the overall anger, the overall sadness, the overall heartbreak that I know was present in this week's episode. It must not have been very easy to hear. And I I, I can acknowledge that. But I can also acknowledge the fact that this this podcast was created out of the out of the notion that uncomfortable conversations stem growth. And if we're not willing to talk about this, if we're not willing to listen to what's going on, and if we're not willing to open ourselves up to the problems of this world, we're we're not going to be able to fix them. We're not going to be able to make ourselves better and grow as individuals and as societies to make the world that we live in a more accommodating place for everyone who lives here. I'm not going to go through all the BS that I go through at the end of every single episode, but um you you guys already know the drill. Do if you're white, do your part as a white person with privilege in this society to make it a less dangerous place for black people. If you see a black person be pulled over by police, I don't care if you're going to work. I don't care if you're running late or if you're in an emergency. I don't care. Pull over and stand there and record the instance and record the instance and be there for that black person. Because I can't even tell you how many times white people have done that for black people. And they've said that, you know, that that, that instance could have turned out a very different way if they hadn't taken it upon themselves, which I also think is a great way to use your privilege as a white person. I think it's a great way to use your privilege as someone with that socioeconomic power in society to be able to pull over with a black person and say, I'm going to stand here with you until this officer leaves because I've seen too many stories. I've watched too many videos of black people being brutalized and murdered by police. I'm not going to let it happen again. So white people, I think that's something you guys can do. And black people don't feel any obligation to subject yourself to more trauma, to more pain, to more suffering than society is already going to subject you to. It's hard enough to exist in this world. It's hard enough to exist in this country as a black person. Um, you don't need to make it harder for yourself. You don't need to watch videos of black people getting brutalized and murdered. We already know what's going to happen. We've seen it dozens and dozens, maybe hundreds of times before. We don't need to watch it anymore. You don't need to put yourself through that. Other than that, you guys, as always, leave this episode and every episode before now ready to educate often, learn freely, and always love equally. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'll talk to you next week.